Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Sure, we've tried to do this for three years, and I think all we would do is we would cry the whole time. And then I told you, I feel like I'm stronger in so many ways, or maybe God has revealed himself to me in more ways than early on, that hopefully I can share that with somebody that will make a difference. So I feel stronger mentally and spiritually than I ever have. I'm still working on the physical side, but I'm grateful for these years because of the presence of God. I just am. I miss my son like every breath I take. Mm-hmm. But I'm grateful for this season and that how I've experienced the Lord. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. This episode is personal to me. So forgive me if I start crying. I have tried this intro a couple of different times and I've had to stop, but I've decided if I have to stop every time I start crying, I'll never get it done. So bear with me if I indeed start to cry. My precious friend, Alicia Hodges, sat down with me to talk about the death of her son, Zane Hodges, who was 30 at the time of his passing. And we've had many of these conversations over the last three years and our time together is typically full of exploring God in this context of loss and crying. I want to back up just a little bit, uh, allow me to lay out my day before I learned that we had lost Zane. I had recently started a Tuesday morning prayer time with a sweet mom of 10 children. Whenever I go out with her, they're so well-mannered that they draw the attention of people around them. And so people will come up and ask her, you know, are these your children or on you or are you on a youth group mission or something? It's always cute, but she'll tell them, no, these are these are my children. And then she will voluntarily follow up with because she tries to beat them to the next question. All the same father. And so she beats them to that question and says, and from the same father, the same man. So we had to start our day early, 7 a.m. because of the demands on her day. If you think about that, that's a full day every day, 24-7, right? On the morning of June 16th, 2020, 
my young mama and I met and she shared an amazing miracle that she and her family experienced that past weekend. And true to the nature of a miracle, something horrific presents itself. And despite everything saying it should have a tragic ending, it turns out completely different. And their then four-year-old son was perfectly fine with no concerns left about his physical condition or motor skills. Uh, and I can testify to the fact that he is indeed complete, whole, typical little boy today. I left our short visit in awe of how God shows himself faithful. On that same day, 12 hours later, almost to the minute, I saw my phone ringing with a number I didn't recognize, so I ignored it. What immediately followed was a text, and the caller identified herself saying she was a good friend of Alicia. And Alicia my sweet friend and devoted motocross mom whose family we had grown close to through many years of traveling together, cheering our sons on, praying for their safety, nursing them when they were injured. We shared in tragedy and triumph, good and bad, highs and lows. So I snatched up the phone and dialed the number back. And I knew in my spirit, I did not want to hear what she had to say. But of course, when someone you love is in need, and the very fact that Alicia did not call me herself let me know she was in need, and you're propelled to run toward them. As the woman spoke on behalf of Alicia, my heart shattered into a million pieces. It would seem that God did not show himself faithful for her baby boy. And yes, Zane was 30, but do our children ever stop being our babies? These two women, my young mom of 10 and Alicia, wear many hats in order to fulfill all the roles they are responsible for. And they both value that of wife and mother above all the titles they're known by. They're passionate about God, and they each serve him with their whole heart. Two moms serving the same God whom they profess to be good, kind, loving, and protective. One with the beautiful story of restoration and protection, and the other later son to rest. Neither mom did anything wrong. Neither mom was more perfect than the other, more godly, more favored, and loved by God. How do we make sense? of a good God who at times seems cruel and at the very least does not treat us fair or equal. One minute he's saving the day and the next it seems he's disinterested, disinterested, nowhere to be found. I'm not going to pretend I have the answers to understand what is clearly beyond my ability to grasp or process. A deep wisdom beyond my limits of understanding holds the answer to the deepest cry of a shattered heart. What I can do, though, is share personal firsthand stories that give real-life examples of how God cares for us in the darkest of dark valleys. And that's what Alicia does in this episode. We discuss the sovereignty of God, His authority over life and death, and why He is trustworthy with our pain. We touch on the stigma of drug abuse and whether or not it's a choice, especially when it's introduced to a young person because of an injury. Maybe it's a choice early on, but at some point, the chemical change in the brain takes over, and that's the reality of the fight 
not a simple choice to use or not use. She briefly talks about what she refers to as growth edges and how not wanting to be stuck in her grief caused her to step out in faith to new territory in her spiritual growth and personal life. At one point, I asked her a question that I like to ask my guests because I think it's one of the major ways Satan attempts to separate us from God, his truth, his healing, redemption. I asked her, in what ways did Satan try to wedge, put a wedge between you and God? And her answer gave me a different perspective, one I hadn't thought about. Satan was set out to destroy relationship, but since he couldn't shake Alicia's connection with God, he came after her personal relationships, the people who would support her. Near the end of our conversation, I asked her about Psalm 23 specifically. How did God prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy? And what she shared gave me revelation of what God did for her and made it clear that what he did in that situation can be applied to everyday life. Where is the good God we profess when things become too much to bear? Listen in and hear Alicia's testimony on how to find God in our pain. My sweet friend, Alicia Hodges, welcome to the show. Thank you. My sweet friend, Sherry. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, I love that you're here because you have so many powerful testimonies in your life, but I hate that you're here because one of the more powerful testimonies that I have witnessed in this most recent season of your life is your reliance on God through your grief journey when you lost your firstborn, your only son, Zane. And before we get into the depth of the conversation, allow me to share a little history for our listeners so that they have a glimpse into our friendship. And I would say that Alicia and I met, what, maybe 25 years ago? Yeah, at least. I was going to say, because our sons were riding 50s and they are small engine racing motorcycles. So they would have been five or six at that time. And as they grew, they began to chase national titles in Texas and Florida and Tennessee. And so we'd see each other quite often, whether it was a local race the boys were using to stay in shape or a national level race where somewhere across the nation. And we would even take our boys on various trips outside of racing, such as our trip to, was it, was it seven snowshoe seven? Where do we go downhill mountain biking? Snowshoe. Snowshoe. Okay. West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was amazing. So fun. <laughs> right. Now we didn't downhill bike right, <laughs> race or ride, but the boys did. And of course they came back with all these stories about each other. One of them going over the handlebars. And I swear, I thought we needed their motorcycle gear after they came back the first day and told us what they were going through. I was like, guys, take it easy. You're downhill. hundred percent. We thought we were going on a girl's trip. <laughs> <laughs> Which we still managed to pull off in the, the resort <laughs> portion of it all. Yes, we did. <laughs> So in short, we've been on many adventures together with our boys, and that is where we forged a deep relationship as we prayed together for the safety of our sons. Because I'll be honest, and Alicia will agree, we've seen the lives of many racers change in the blink of an eye. And do you remember that time that we walked the track in Waldo, Florida? So if anybody wants to know where Waldo is, he's in Florida. But do you remember that it was during a practice and our boys, not our, I guess not our boys, but we considered all of our all of the motocross boys, our boys, and some of them were getting hurt. They were going to the hospital, like overnight stays. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And you're like, we're walking the track, we're praying. And so what do we get for oil to anoint the track? Do you remember? We got there. I guess it was the motorcycle oil, right? Is that what yeah, we it, was. it was? Yeah. It was motorcycle okay. oil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we, did. we didn't have any other oil. So we're walking the track. We're praying. She's anointing the track with oil, but Hey, God is good because there were no further overnight hospital stays. And that's the kind of thing that we would do. We bonded there in this place of 
life hung on the edge, if you will, because every start had its potential to bring injury. And as we mentioned, and change people's lives. And so I've talked enough. So let me let you in here, Alicia, and tell us a little bit about Zane, his wit and his heart. Although we could stay here all day talking about that. Oh my goodness. Well, I appreciate you letting me on. And, you know, honestly, Sherry, Zane thought of you as a second mom. So, you know, you can talk about him probably almost as much as I can, but he always had such a sense of humor, even as a child. And I see it in my sweet Callie Ray, my daughter, was 10 weeks pregnant when he went to be with the Lord. And she has been our gift of hope and joy. And I even see his wit in her and I just have to laugh. I'm like, thank you, God. You're so good that that, that seed of wit and humor yeah. continue. But he just, he brought so much joy to so many people. He could be strong-willed and drive me nuts, but he could also just find a way to turn it around for his good and make me laugh. And it's interesting that sometimes you find out more about your children when there's been a separation. They don't have to go to heaven early, but you know, for me, that's that's what I found. And often I'll make a post about him and there will always be a comment, I miss his humor, I miss his wit. That's usually the first thing they say. And, and I just, I know the battles that, that we fought together and his struggles, but he did somehow re make people laugh. You know, he just had that joy about him. And I know it's innate trait that he was born with, but he also knew the Lord very deeply. And I believe that God used that gift of joy and laughter through him to touch people. Some of the things that come to my mind as you're talking is one of them is we were, I believe we were in Florida. And so we'd all gone to dinner and the boys are with us and the restaurant's real nice restaurant. We're standing there waiting to go sit down and the waitresses, the cocktail waitresses are walking back. Of course, Zane and all the boys really are like watching these girls go back because they were really cute. And finally, Zane just says real dry, like he always does. He's like, wow, this restaurant's I mean, it's got bling for your eyes and bling for your stomach. <laughs> so I'd say stuff like that, compare things to whatever the current word was at the time. And I remember another time we were probably still in Florida, could have been Georgia. But anyway, they came off the line. It was packed. It was tight. You know how they are. They're elbow to elbow, bar to bar. And Zane got shoved up into, what do you want to say? It wasn't a ridge, but it was the wall on that side of the track was high yeah yeah on the bank and so he, he he can't come back down he's on the top but if he comes back down he's coming back down on somebody so he just rides it out well after the race he him and my son got together and they my son said Zane what were you doing he goes I was looking for the faster line you know like he never <laughs> I said I remember that <laughs> he never said I got shoved up on the top or I lost my he just had something <laughs> different to say about what the answer was he so was he was looking for the faster line very yeah. quick witted. And that is such a gift for people. And my dad was a lot like that too. So, you know, I do miss those calls. I do miss those pranks. I do miss that, that, that gift that he had for sure. Yeah. And something else about him that people would discover about him if they spent time with him was his tender heart. Like he wanted to help everybody. He really yeah. didn't judge anybody. And to me, the occasion that I heard him speak to people who needed a little guidance, he would be direct with them. He but he had a heart to save everybody. I felt like he, he did. He had, he came to know Jesus in his very younger years when he was five. And I saw that, that child just become so tenderhearted through the years, even amidst his struggles. And the way I describe Zane and the way that I have chosen to live my life 
in honor of him as a legacy is that he loved hard, he forgave quickly, and he lived without judgment. That's how I would describe my son. Mm -hmm. And he stayed that way. And that that I have learned even more so since he's been gone. I didn't realize the people that he continued to touch, reach out to, share the Lord with, and just, just want to help. And it continued and continued. And I didn't find out about that often, you know, so well, late. Well, I was going to say, I think that's the case with any of our children, especially he'd moved out and, you know, he wasn't yeah, under, he, under the roof right. every day. And so that right. sort of interaction kind of, I won't say fades away, but it's not as prominent or as often, although you guys stayed in touch every day. So yes. that was always, and then the work he was doing at the time of his passing, he was getting awards. They were definitely recognizing his work. He was standing out in his field. What was it? Powder painting guns? What was um, it? it was coating guns. So it was, it was kind of just to lead up into that and how we even got to that. So his dream was to be a professional motocross you know, racer, like our boys had that dream. And, you know, he had a national championship in the amateur leagues, but, you know, we just realized it wasn't going to be there. I mean, a small percentage really make it. And she, he did not want to go to college. He was, he's grown up with entrepreneurs like my husband and I and doing different things. And Zane had his own businesses through the years, whether it was selling t-shirts or delivering things in his van all across the country. I mean, that's just who he was. And so it was in 2015, we started noticing guns being shipped to the house and we were on alert. We're like, well, what, what's going on? We didn't even own a gun. And then we found out he had self-taught himself through videos on YouTube, how to powder coat guns and how to Cerakote them. And he had a little makeup shop in the garage and he used to put his guns to bake in my oven in the house. And that's a whole other story because that's so I still have paint in there. And I mean, I, you know, he would laugh and say, well, at least there be the stoves being used mom. Cause he knew I, <laughs> I didn't cook very much. And so, so I was like, he started getting really good. I was like, wow. And I kept praying and praying because he was in a really dark season and he just, he, he didn't have a job. He was just hanging out at home. And then, and then he found out before he got hired at Safe Side Tactical in Roanoke, Virginia, officially, and with a license he could operate on or under, we found out that if he didn't have a license or a storefront, then he was doing it illegally and ATF could come in. Raise your house down anytime. Yeah. yeah. So he stopped for a while and then he saw his talent and then Safe Side Tactical brought him in and he did their guns, but he could also bring in other people's guns and do his own work. So he was nationally, his business grew and grew and grew. He was there for two, two and a half years, almost three years. And he was nationally recognized for his work on Sarah Coates website. And, and they he really brought the community, especially in Roanoke and Lynchburg, together. They could be different gun owners and businesses, but he would do the work for all of them. And so it was a really cool season. And I I only was in his shop a couple times, but I could not believe this child that had such a hard time with focusing growing up with ADHD and just all this that he could hyper focus and do the work that he did. Just amazed me. I mean, I. It did. I knew it was a God thing because of how it was brought in mm -hmm. uh, and how he taught himself and the gift that he was able to share with the world continues to make us smile. 
I know my boys got a couple of those guns and that was really sweet of you to open that up to his friends before it went national because I'm sure you didn't have a single one left once that once that no. went national. Yeah. When you think about motocross, what was your biggest reward with regard to Zane de dedicating himself to the skill and athleticism that MX, AX, and SX requires? And for those who don't know, MX is motocross, AX is arena cross, and SX is supercross. Our boys did all three. They did. And that, from what I understand, is one of the hardest sports to be mentally and physically prepared for. Zero body fat. Sport. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it did teach self-control. You know, I watched our boys, you know, most of the time they would watch what they ate. They would work out. They worked with a mental coach. I mean, it was a, it was well-rounded. I mean, they had to be a hundred percent on. I loved that part. And just the whole idea of preparation, start, they're on the track, they're finishing, they're processing. I mean, that's life, right? That that whole track to me was life. You're mm -hmm. gonna have some bumps and bruises through life. You're gonna go up some hills. You're gonna go down some hills. I mean, it was to me, it represented life. And but outside of that, it's the community that was formed, the culture that was formed. Because people would often ask me, "What do you think about that motocross culture?" Because it is an extreme sport, right? And and it is. And in people's eyes, they're like, I would never let my child do that. And then I'm like, well, you don't understand the whole community and the whole family that was built around this sport. And so, you know, and still we're here today talking. Some of my most cherished friendships came from those years. But what it also taught me was they really had, if they knew the Lord, they really had to rely on him when they were on that bike. And that's why we had you know, ministries popping up, amateur pro leagues. I know I started at MX Moms for Christ because the kids wanted their bikes prayed over, you know, and I felt like on Sunday, I had done ministry for years and, and nonprofit work and all that, but I, I felt like I could offer that on Sundays because we weren't church either. And I do a little message that, that opened up the opportunity for that. And these kids really long for that. And so you know, I felt like we tried to keep him in a bubble, although, you know, it wasn't possible. But what I do know, and this is what I tell my friends, is that we would leave out mostly on Thursday or Friday, and we were gone till Sunday, and we were together as a family every, almost every single weekend. I would not trade all of those years for the world. Do I think that it led up we could, to his, I believe, untimely death? I don't believe it did. It was several things that were involved, but those were years that he learned to grow when they start so early and they continue. They're just different life lessons in it. And, you know, it's a good thing. It's definitely one of the ways that I grew closer to God, because when they're on that line, especially at a national level, here they are 40 long coming off of a gate and they will go into a turn that's about 10 to 12 feet wide. And you know that every single one of them has the capability to get into that first corner and every single one of them want it. That's the kind of thing when you're reminded that you have absolutely no control. My son and your son could not hear us. There was nothing we could say or do. All we had was prayer, but it was enough because it did it sustain enough. us through all that. And more to your point about what they learned on that track is definitely something that they can apply to life. You're yeah. going to fall, but get back up, finish, stay committed, stay focused, give it your best shot. 
and then come away proud because you gave it everything you had. You left it all on the track and overcoming the obstacles you were talking about. Life has plenty of obstacles. So I, like you, believe that motocross and, and motorcycle racing gave us a lot. It really did add a lot to our life. Did you ever regret your time invested in motocross? Never. I mean, I can look back and say never. It helped me and just what you said to grow in our faith. Mm-hmm. I had to develop courage. It, it was definitely out of my wheelhouse, if you will. We didn't have, I mean, we have a Harley that my husband and I ride together, but you know, that's all I experienced. And when he was on the little bike, it was okay, right? But then when he got better and competitive and you know, then he broke his leg early on when he went from a small, small bike to the next one and broke his femur. And that was nine months out. And I thought he's never getting on that bike again. And then I knew I was in trouble when he was in the hospital watching motorcycle movies. He had his little Jerry McGrath remote control going all around the room. And I'm like, I must be crazy. But I, I the first time he got back on that track, I just said, God, if he has the courage to get back up, and I'm going to support him, then I've got to have courage. And Sherry, you often know, I would just pace and pray. That was kind of my my rhythm, especially in the arena cross indoor series. I would just walk where people were getting their sodas and I would just pray. And that's the best gift I could give him. So it was releasing complete control. I mean, we don't have control over our kids anyway and their decisions. We can influence them but it was, it was letting God have complete control. And that is a scary, but courageous place to be in. I often said that the hardest part about being a parent is not allowing your fears to become their fears, because at what point do you take their dream from them? Because you're afraid, right? but yet God put that in them, or at least the drive and the adventurous spirit. Cause I used to tell the Lord this all the time. Okay, Lord, you created boys. You're the one who made boys. I'm just going to go sit down and you take care of this. <laughs> Cause I would be so stressed out over it. But the Lord did teach me to recline in him. I like you would not trade any of the time that we invested in motocross and spending that much time with our children. It went by so fast. Yeah, it did. And it was a long time. It was 11 years for us. I mean, once he started competitively, yeah. you know, he had his motorcycle when he was younger, but 11 years of racing and training. And, you know, again, it became family, family of motocross. And we needed them in that season. Yeah. In our lives, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Because A, you don't get the time back. Right. And then B, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so you've invested in so many moments and memories and they can be bittersweet as well, but still certainly not anything you could regret. One of the most powerful images I have of you, your witness and your testimony is at Zane's celebration of life. And during one of the worship songs, you stood and you lifted your hands in praise when your heart has ruptured to that degree. What were you worshiping in that moment? I was worshiping Jesus, pure and simple. You know, God had prepared me for that moment. And it was through you, Sherry. I mean, he had been preparing me that Zane was going to go to heaven. He had prepared me in many ways, just kind of speaking to my heart. But it was, 
it was the the day of his passing and I had actually read your blog and and you had that song on oh how amazing I loved it I loved the words and I I put it on and I was immersing myself in it while I was at the gym I even showed one of my friends from church I said you got it you got to download this on your iTunes it's awesome and I just couldn't get rid of it I just kept listening and listening and little did I know that God was preparing me for what was to come that day Mm -hmm. so I thank you for following God's leading because it was that song that I had played Mm -hmm. and again God immersed me in his spirit in his presence that day to as preparation but then it was a, a day of sacrifice like God I have nothing left to give and I never expected to, to share my journal writings of my son. And I even got you to type them out and gave them to the pastor. I mean, I never thought I could ever do that. But being in God's presence, it's almost like he lifted me out of that chair. That's all I know. And I didn't look around. It was a long song, too. It was over 10 minutes. And, and I just stayed in God's presence. And when when we stopped, I went up and got that sheet and then I just spoke freely. So, so maybe it was that time where I was just crawling up in his lap and just getting immersed in his presence and saying, God, this is that sacrifice of praise. But then he equipped me to get back up and to share even more. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know how I did it. But you know, with God, we don't have to know he'll, he'll work through you because I certainly have felt then and often now, what else do I have to give? I feel like I have nothing in my brokenness, but that's when he, he will use us in that if we allow him to. I know I would call my initial words or worship after I lost Larry as almost as autopilot because I was numb and I didn't have anywhere else to go. And the only thing I knew was that God is the fountainhead of truth. So where else would I turn for the words of life? You know, where else would I find peace or healing or answers? But then there comes a time when the numbness wears off and you can't hide from the pain. And so now you're sitting with this good God you profess and he doesn't feel so good anymore. Were you ever mad at God? You know, I was never mad at God and people don't understand that, but I found the scripture that I could relate to, to understand why I wasn't mad at God. I had to have validation because people didn't understand. And it's this, after that, I've been very open, raw and real on my social media and sharing just on one-on-one people would message me and they're like, aren't you mad? Or I'm still mad at God. And I'm like, well, if I'm mad at him, then where am I going to go for peace? Where am I going to go for comfort? Because he's the only one that can, nobody can say anything or do anything. Although I covet people's prayers, their food, their sweetness, their cards, but, but nobody could comfort me like him. And, and it's amazing that I found, and I'll share that scripture in a minute, but my grandparents were strong, strong, strong prayer warriors walked in, in the spirit, the legacy they left me. I, I just am grateful for every day. And they had this picture they had given me and it was Jesus. It's a black and white sketch. You can probably see it. Maybe Sherry now as we're on this podcast. And he's just holding the lamb. And I found that two weeks before Zane went to be with the Lord. And 
And I thought, you know, I'm going to put that on my Zoom wall behind me. And I'm just going to look at that every day. And I continue to look at that every day. And what it says to me is that, God, you could have saved Jesus from the cross. You could have called or he could have called angels and said, I'm done. Right. But he willingly gave himself for me, for Zane. And because of that, and because of Zane's profession of faith, I'm going to see him again. So, you know, God is good. No matter, even if our circumstances don't look good, he's still good. And he's sitting there and he's holding the lamb. And I just envisioned that was Zane every day, but that was also me crawling up in his lap and just putting my head at his heart and saying, you know, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you because you're a good God. And then I found this, it's Nahum 1-7, and I loved it because it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. And I thought, that's why I believe that I can stay in this place, right? Because I was like you, I was numb. I couldn't pray. I couldn't read the word. I could put worship on, worship music, and I could just sit, right? And I could write. Sometimes I could just write my feelings. Sometimes I couldn't. But I kept saying, God, you are good. You are good. And thankfully, I've been brought up in a church that has immersed me in the goodness of God, right? That is a reality in my life. If you pay attention to music over these past three years, through the pandemic and all of that, it's talking about the goodness of God. And I don't want anybody to miss that. And you know, I just, I just really believe that there, there's no circumstance that, that I will face where he's not already prepared me, right? And that's his goodness. And even though God, he's absolutely good all the time, again, even we're, we're going to experience circumstances, they're in a, anything but good, yeah. but yeah. he is good. And yeah. I don't understand everything. I never will. But in his goodness, he allowed me to have my son for 30 years. And I am grateful for that. There is one thing I have realized as well is that there is a first breath for each one of us. There's a vehicle with which we leave here. So therefore there's a last breath for each one of us. And when that happens, it's no reflection on say you with your son or me with my husband. It is the life expectancy or the way that God's kingdom calendar has allotted for each one of us. So when Larry passed, when it wasn't that God was mad at us, he had graciously shared them with us. And I think that's got a lot of beauty to it and that he would do that for us because it's never long enough, 30 years, 52 years, hundred years. It's never long enough. Never. And more to your point too, about how you appreciated people letting you know they cared but that they could not reach that pain. Because if you're like me, if you can't bring back my loved one, you can't really reach my pain. But then God in his goodness can penetrate, I would say pierce this place of darkness with his presence. So what was your biggest why question for God? You have uh, said you weren't mad at him, so maybe you didn't have a why question. But when you're trying to make sense of that pain, were yeah. there any why questions? Of course. I mean, I went through a whole season of the woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? And that gets into the why. And, and I know that's a part of grieving. And I think that's where people really get stuck. 
I mean, I've been on a couple groups on Facebook and I had to get out of them. I mean, we've got people 10 years in there that are still not getting out of bed that have children, other children. And I'm like, I, that'll get me stuck. Right. And I never wanted to be stuck. I believe in I am statements and, and just, I really do. And I was like, I will not let grief consume me. I am grateful. I turned it into gratitude. Thank you, God, for my 30 years, you know, and it would have been really easy to get stuck in the woulda, coulda, shoulda, because you analyze everything. What if you and I've talked about this, Sherry, what if I would have taken some, him something to eat? What if I would have dropped by that day? What if I, but you know, God in his goodness, as I reflect back, detoured me from even finding him. And that's a whole other story. That was a part of that song that day. He detoured me. So we wouldn't find him 16 hours later. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a part of it was, well, couldn't you sent somebody else? You've talked about that, Sherry. You know, there was nothing I could do, right? I mean, but you do the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Well, maybe I, I enabled too much, or maybe I uh, I didn't, or maybe it, it should have made it hard. You know, there's just so many things. But when my son picked up a needle and was laced with fentanyl, I mean, that many people could say was a choice at that time. He had been doing really well. We don't really know what was going on. It was during COVID. We, again, you said he had a very tender heart. Absolutely. And he could have easily taken on the care of a lot of people and just, I don't know. He, but he had a lot to look forward to. He was excited about being an uncle. So there's a lot of that in there that I just don't understand. But my husband and I often talk and we're like, you know, at the end of the day, we gave him a foundation. He led many people to the Lord. He loved people. He, he wanted to make this world a better place, but he struggled with addiction. And, you know, I don't understand as much as I tried to put him in a bubble, keep him in the natural realm and away from it a back injury led to two drugs at, at 19. And why, right? That would have been my why. God and I battled this out. And I'm like, I thought I did everything I could to protect them. And, and here we are. But God, right? But God, I mean, he's just, we're just gone temporarily from each other. There's a, there's a very thin veil, right? And my seed is in heaven. And I believe for me, a part of my healing is that I have become so heavenly minded. I wasn't before, like my walk with the Lord is so different now than I thought it was stronger before, but I, I found somebody said in one of my devotions, our hearts will take us where our, our heads cannot fit. Mm. And I thought that's really good because I can't fit it all in my head. Why, when, where, how, the woulda, coulda, shouldas, but my heart can go to Jesus and say, okay, you have him yeah. and I'm going to see him again. And this is, this is an eternal relationship. And so thank God for that. Thank God for that. I just read a quote and I'm not going to get it verbatim. So I'm going to share what I interpreted it to say, but it was by Warren Wearsby, if I'm saying his last name correctly, but he was an American pastor, an author, and a Bible teacher. And he said something to the effect that, and he wasn't saying that it was a bad thing because I would not negate anybody struggling well with God. Like you need to struggle 
through the pain and to try to grasp it. And, but he was saying that we come to God in pain. We come to him with a bunch of questions, but what we really need is a revelation of God. And that's why I say now that God speaks beautiful things in the dark. And it's also why I named my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain, because it is that right there is the hinge with which we know what we know about God. And then we experience who God is. He's the one that meets us in this painful place. And he brings his presence and his beauty and his truth and his comfort into that space that no one else can reach. And so we learn things about him, who he is, that we would not know in any other context. What is something that surprised you about God? Because we know, or we believe things, but then we know that we know. Well, his goodness. I mean, that that's a reality for me. And, you know, I feel like I can offer people that reality mm-hmm. of another world that shapes the reality of maybe the one they're in, right? And that's giving them hope. And I've experienced his presence. You know, it's probably more his patience with me. He didn't rush me. You and I've talked about this. Like, I, I feel like he didn't rush me through this journey and he's not rushing me. I mean, I have weepy days, weepy moments. I mean, it does get better though. I had a friend that her daughter just passed from cancer. I think she was 34 yesterday. And she sent me a message and said, well, now I'm a part of the club. And I'm like, oh my gosh, don't think of it like that. This, this is not a club. This is, this is a journey that I wish you were not on, but I'm telling you, God is going to be in the midst of it and he's going to hold your hand and he's going to send his labors of love, like divine appointments, connections. I saw God so intimately do things like that for me that I had never experienced before. And I've walked with the Lord since I was 27, you know, and done ministry, just done a lot of things for God, right? But it's the experience of allowing him to just come in and be with me. And knowing that I had nothing to give, but he would just sit with me and he still does. Yeah. Did Satan try to get you to define God by your deep pain? Did he want to undermine and get you to second guess what God had said? Some of his promises or. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I think that that is our biggest weapon in grief is the enemy coming against our thoughts. And if we allow them to penetrate our heart, you know, we've got to put on that armor every day. Finally, when I could get back in his word, then I got a little stronger, but I believe just having the praise worship on, right? God inhabits the praises of his people that that was protecting my mind and my heart from, from him and the negative stuff that could definitely come in. Because when you have a, a death like my son had, there could be negativity around that, you know, there's a stigma around that. And but I, I found that when I would speak the word, you know, God's faithful, right? And you gotta, when, once you get back up again, you realize I, I still have authority in Christ. I've been beaten up and knocked down, but it's like God fought my battles. That stronghold in a day of trouble, you think of a stronghold as being something bad, right? Something bad that's an addiction or a whatever disorder, but a stronghold is when he puts everything around you that Satan cannot penetrate. Mm. And that's the day of trouble for me. Like I felt like I was completely engulfed in him 
and he was fighting my battles and I never really let him fight my battles before I thought I had to fight him I'll just be honest I'm like type a driven just you know let's get something done if there's a problem let's fix it right and I had to learn to wait on him and that's a beautiful thing I mean my life has been enhanced and so much better through this season and that's hard people don't understand that but I can tell you now much more patient I'm much more loving I'm much more compassionate and and I take time for things that I need to take time for. God does beautiful work in the dark places of life. And I think that's one of the gifts that he gives us first and foremost, his presence in places like that, but revealing his heart and growing us through something that is so extremely painful. So what did it look like? Can you think of an example of Satan trying to drive a wedge between you and God? Was it that he had you question God's nature? Did he have you question God's love for you? Can you think of anything that you could share at the moment? I don't know if it was Satan trying to drive a wedge in between me and God, but it was between me and other people. Some people showed up and were there for me, right? And they didn't let go. They, I knew they prayer warriors, they would pray. Some who I thought were my dear close friends because of the nature of the death and, and him being young and they had children the same age kind of put me at a distance that hurt, I think more than anything. And I think that's, that's a tool of the enemy, right. To break up relationship. So it wasn't necessarily my relationship with God because I can continue to crawl on his lap. We continued to go to church Thank God in COVID, because it was March of 2020, we were only shut down about three weeks. So we we still had that, that infilling, right, that we needed to continue to move forward. But but the wedge between people, that was that was probably the most difficult. Well, I wonder if it was like me when I would think about Larry's death. He was 52. He was young. He was healthy. There was no indication of him going to have a massive heart attack, but I looked at other people around us and they were in poor health, didn't care about themselves, didn't make any effort to take care of themselves, looked like they were on their last leg with their other foot on a banana peel, meaning why Larry, why my husband, when he was, had life to give, he, he loved people. He loved. And so to that point, Zane was not the only athlete struggling with any sort of addiction. Did you look around and say, Lord, what in the world? The point I guess I'm trying to make is that when you think about the people who put you at arm's distance, was it because of the stigma that is associated with drug addiction? Some of them, yes. Some of them, they just didn't want to go there. They would tell me, I just can't go there. They, I, I can't imagine. And I would say, you don't have to. I just need you to pray for me. I just need you to be there for me. I wasn't expecting anything from anyone, really, because I I didn't know what I needed myself. Just love me where I'm at. But then I would find that people were so loving and kind of patient too. You know, our family stayed strong. I was really concerned about my daughter being 10 weeks pregnant. She and Zane were best friends. And, and first trimester, I really, you were talking earlier about The first year I was like, you were numb, right? Like you were just kind of going through the motions. I really felt like that because 10 weeks pregnant and, and it was hard. All I cared about was going to make sure she was okay to lay in bed with her while she cried. And she knew she couldn't fully grieve because she had this child, you know, developing in her and she wanted that baby. And I'm thinking, you know, 
is she going to be okay? Everything was testing fine. Then we get into showers and then they have precious Callie Ray. But before they did that, they were moving out of their apartment. And then they decided they wanted to move into my son's house. And that was really hard. I mean, you talk about having to get back up again. That was another defining moment because that's where we, but she felt like she was closer to him there. So we got in, we did a little bit of construction. That was another step to our healing. I really felt like Zane was close to me there and there, it was an amazing season. So, you know, she had Callie, she spent the first year of her life there and it was just a very sweet thing, but that's the whole first year that to me was a blur, really. And it's that second year I was starting to feel again. That's the only way I know to describe it. Just kind of start to really try to process what had happened with all the memories and then their year anniversary comes around and then you're getting messages and you're just getting reminded of, yeah, this is real, right? And and so that that was really a tough time, but it it did open up some opportunities that helped, I call them growth edges, right? They It helped me to grow during that time in my grief, in my journey and become stronger myself. So but that's that's when the woulda, coulda, shoulda started happening that second year for me. The woulda, shouldas, and couldas. I think that is a journey for everybody. I think, I guess I can't speak for everybody because grief looks as different as the person that it comes upon. But the woulda, shouldas, and couldas, there's a, it seems to be a common thread of where there's some guilt associated with the, the passing of a loved one, where you're trying to figure out, you know, why I could have done something different. This could have changed it. I could have done this. I could have done that. What if I'd have done this? And yet I had a friend remind me, Sherry, you're not God. You don't have control over that. You're not God. So lay that down. It's just a journey that you have to go on with the Lord. But that guilt is not, a. it's not, it's the word I'm looking for. I can't say realistic. Well, it, it is real, but it's also a tool of the enemy. Guilt is not of God. And so when you talk about a wedge, that could have been a wedge that could have been permanent in my life with the Lord. And a lot of people are still in that phase in their journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did is I haven't been to a grief counselor, but I, Dr. Caroline Leaf had been to our church and she has what's called a neurocycle and you can get it on in the app store and you, you learn how to face any toxic thought and grief is a toxic thought. It really is. And because they're, they're usually circumstances surrounding it and feelings and the woulda, coulda, shoulda, all of that. So I went through about six weeks, 20 minutes a day of really assessing my feelings and why I would feel like that. And I came to the revelation, like we talked about in these journey, this journey that we're in, God reveals himself. And he told me, same like you, he said, you know, Lisha, nothing you could have done would have mattered because you are not the author of life and death. I am. And once I got that revelation, I was like, wow, I, I don't believe it came from a place of pride. It was just a, like, it was just my hurt, right? I just missed him. And I just wanted him back where he wouldn't want to be back. I know that. I know he's having a good time, but I just wanted him back here with me. I missed that, that physical presence, you know? And, and like we said, is his laughter and his fun and his love. But so that was a God revealing himself to me. And he didn't let me stay in that place too long. But if people don't recognize that place and want to get out of it, it can be devastating. Yeah. 
They really can. That's where you get trapped. Yes. In your grief. And then every time somebody sees you, it's just poor, pitiful Sherry or poor, pitiful Alicia. They just have not been able to get over their grief. When in fact, as Christians, our testimony is that God does not allow anything that he doesn't plan to redeem. Yes. And that can look different for all of us, but that redemption story is guaranteed with God because he's the one that rewrites the brokenness of this world. Talking about redemption, you know, God is in the, he's in the details, you know, he's just, um, that's been another revelation that he is in the details. There's a song out. God is in the details. God is in the story because it's so true. And, you know, yes, I could have gotten there. Could I have saved him? Could I have done this? If he were still here, could he have a massive disease? And I watched him struggle. There's just so many scenarios you can come up with in your mind. But, you know, if you just give that to God, right? And you settle it with him, then you can start to grow. And I had to do that. When you think about Psalm 23, I think about two things right now that I want to ask you about. There's so much to Psalm 23 that to me was a lifeline during my dark valley. But with regard to the oil that's poured over our heads, what would you equate that quality of oil to? Or maybe a better question would be, how did you experience that healing oil for your mind? One way is what I just said, through going through that season and and really looking, getting down into my feelings and figuring out why I was thinking that way and understanding what a God thought is versus a toxic thought. Many times we don't understand that, right? But the word shows you that our our minds need to be renewed through the washing of the word, right? But I experienced that just by keeping my worship on 24 seven. It didn't matter where I was. I felt like that oil was being poured down on me and that's God's presence because he, it was in him. That's the only way I can make it. And then one more question about Psalm 23. What has it looked like for God to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy while he wants to destroy you in the midst of this pain? What does it look like for God to prepare a table for you? A table, I look at that as, you know, provision, provision for whatever season I'm in. And, you know, you think at a table and then we think about Jesus. He's the bread of life, the living water. It's him, right? It's him at that table preparing himself for me and providing for whatever I need in that season of my life. And he has done that time and time again. If I'm having a bad moment morning, I'll get a call from a friend or I'll get a card in the mail or I'll get some random text from one of Zane's friends. They, that's what I love, right? Hey, missing him, or I saw your post, or, you know, here's a picture of his gun he did or whatever. It's just provision for whatever you need, body, soul, spirit. That's how I've seen God provide for me in the midst of my enemies. Because one thing that trauma does and loss can be traumatic, especially unplanned, sudden. And for me, the the plan of the enemy was is always to kill, steal, and destroy. I have been on a restorative health journey for a long time. So I was doing pretty good up until about six months later. And that was in that first year, again, that hamster on a wheel, trying to make sure my daughter was fine. We we're moving into his house. I started getting really sick 
And to the point I couldn't hardly get out of bed. And I tried to fight it for six months and finally went to a functional medicine doctor and I'm much better now. So again, God provided that clarity, right, for me to be able to start getting back up again because I didn't realize how much trauma can affect you, not just mentally, but physically until it starts manifesting. And I think we're so numb and so broken that often we don't recognize the signs that are there and we're not practicing self-care. And so for me, it's not just been the spiritual provision. It's been providing for my body and then also help giving me new opportunities like in this pain to love on others, to start new opportunities to sow seed into other people to really evaluate what does life look like from that point. Here we are three years later, I have a granddaughter, my daughter's getting married, life goes on, right? But now it's still God providing peace for me in the table of my enemies because life events are going on with our kids, friends, and we're going to weddings, we're going to birthdays, and you know, I'm not going to experience that with them. So that's, that's been really hard lately because I've had a lot of those, but God always, at the end of the day, he'll just refresh me and go, you know, he's out having a party every day because he's with me and he's with my dad and he's with Larry, right? And they're having a big old time every day. So, you know, what we think we're missing or is lost here is only gain in heaven. That's the way I look at it as provision. When I've often thought of Larry and Zane together in heaven, you know, the Lord has got his hands full. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Between between the two of them, because they were both just full of adventure, full of life, full of humor and wit and always up for a good joke. So 100%. I can only imagine and we will know when we're there. So (laughs) where are you at now? How did the loss of your precious boy impact your future? What are you doing in order to bring redemption to your story? That's a great question. It seems like through this process, like I said, I've changed as a person. I've learned to say no more to things that I don't believe serve me well in my journey, right? And that's okay. People need to say no when when they're struggling. It's okay. I was always the yes person, do this, do that. I've learned to pick and choose what would serve me better while serving others. Because if I don't show up as my best self or as my authentic self, it doesn't mean that I'm healed. This will always be a journey, right? I mean, God's already healed me, but the walking out in the brokenness will always be a journey. But that's where we can minister to others. So my, my heart is to not let any of this be wasted. And so if somebody wants to have a conversation about Zane or about my journey, I'm there for them. If, you know, we talked about this just because I was in ministry so long and I have a heart to share my journey. What does it look like? Does it look like a grief share? Does it look like a podcast? Does it look like a book? I mean, there's lots of things happening now in my life that are pointing in these directions where three years ago I had it in my heart to do, but I know I wasn't ready. I mean, I couldn't sit here, Sherry, we've tried to do this for three years. And I think all we would do is we would cry the whole time. And then I told you, I feel like I'm stronger in so many ways, or maybe God has revealed himself to me in more ways than early on that 
hopefully I can share that with somebody that will make a difference. So I feel stronger mentally and spiritually than I ever have. I'm still working on the physical side, but I'm grateful for these years because of the presence of God. I just am. I miss my son like every breath I take. Mm-hmm. but I'm grateful for this season and that how I've experienced the Lord and how I can tell somebody that, you know, don't ever compare loss. That's one thing I want your listeners to know, because, you know, people will reach out to me and they'll go, well, I know this isn't as bad as what you've been through. And I will say, whoa, 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 whoa. Loss is loss when you're going through it. You can't ever compare someone's journey. Now, from a a worldly standpoint, losing a child probably is, right? I mean, that's what what people tell me. But I would never compare my journey of loss to somebody else's because they're reaching out to me for a reason. And it may not be the same situation, but if I can bring them comfort by just praying with them, sharing the goodness of God that, hey, God, God is a good, even if it doesn't feel good, right? He's good. And, and if it's not good, he's not finished yet. There's so much to that, the not finished yet portion of my life that I'm excited about because I don't know what that looks like. I mean, right. you know, I don't know what God wants to do or where he wants to take me. And and if it's home, praise God, if it's home to my heavenly home. But if I'm on the earth, there's got to be a purpose and a reason. And I'm just just walking it out and waiting on him, but continuing. I'm in. I have a couple of businesses. I'm continuing to work and serve my family, but I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, but that's a part of where it kind of gets exciting where God, what do you want to do here? Do you, you know, and I've learned my patience. I got to wait on him. It can be a journey of challenge, but also faith and joy. Joy, if you allow, it can be restored. And, and you can continue to live in honor of your loved one. You can do that. I've often thought if I'm going to lay in bed and mope around, Zane would come back, kicking me in the butt, doing some prank here in the house to make me laugh, taking me for a ride. Like he wouldn't let me stay in that, that state. So I have to often think about that and, and continue to live in honor of him that, and I want my, my life to represent that knowing Zane's heart and his love for you, you would have troubled his heart had you not gotten up out of that bed and got busy with life because we serve an adventurous God. And because anything's possible, that I think adds an element of excitement that nothing ever gets old with him. It's not over. Even if we pass, we're his, we go on to eternity. So it's never over with him. When you think about the stigma that's attached to drug use, what is it something, whether you have a word for a mom who's struggling with a a child who is struggling with drug abuse or people who look at this from the outside with, uh, I would say, what's the word I'm looking for with some sort of disgust. Yeah, that's a great word. And I've been there. I I was disgusted at times. I've learned more about addiction after he's been gone than I ever knew about it when he was here. I was with him when he he got clean for many years. I saw the joy in him. I mean, he's always had that foundation of faith. So it wasn't that. It was the choices that were affecting his mindset and his brain that was allowing him to go in that direction. So I knew his heart, but I often thought that he was just choosing it. Like Let's just make that choice. And I've learned about addiction. And this is where the stigma is. People think, well, 
why don't they just make another choice? They just need to get over it. They just need to come over here. They don't understand that the brain does change the chemical makeup. They don't understand that what started off as a choice by a doctor and Zane choosing to use a prescription drug for a back injury at 19 could lead to this. You know, that was a choice then, right? But later on, it wasn't a choice anymore. That was, that was a coping mechanism. And just like alcohol, eating, whatever it is, whatever your go-to is or a substitute, this, however, ended his life. And we, we again, we thought he was good. You just never know. I've learned more about the, the mind. It, usually it starts with some sort of trauma, some sort of anxiety that would have, could have, should have. I'm like, I don't know that we had any of that. I mean, we had that foundation for him. So there's, there's no one that I know literally that is the same, same upbringing, same mom and dad and home where it hasn't been affected. It's everywhere and it's become an epidemic and, and it, it's, it's horrible. Again, have learned more about that, about fentanyl it's that disgusts me. My son didn't disgust me is that that was made available and he didn't know. And now was that a choice? He picked it up. But again, when that's a substitute, it's no different than what a lot of people would choose it ended his life. So people don't understand that because they envision addiction as the homeless living on streets because they couldn't control their addiction. Yeah, that could be some of it. But most addictions are going on in homes everywhere. My son was 30, so he was living not under my roof. I only had so much control. Again, we talked about the control thing. I really didn't have any, but I could influence him and I could give him suggestions. You know, this would probably be a good group to go to, or this might be good exercise or whatever. But in the end, he made his own decisions. I'm always amazed at the story of the overcomer. And I know that Zane had gotten there a couple of different times with his struggle. And that's so encouraging to see that because in the natural, it doesn't make any sense that they would be able to do that. And yet he was able to do that. He was. And I also think maybe the reason why I just love the overcomer story is because really, isn't that our story? Isn't that any of us to be overcomers with Christ? Because we're no match for this world. We're no match for our enemy. We'll be taken down, taken out, and wiped out if we're the ones left to fighting. But God comes along. He's the one who's qualified to fight the enemy. Right. But I love that God never turns his back. His grip is secure. And that's how I see that on Zane. I, I can't help but feel that Zane's heart to help everyone may have been too overwhelming. And you think about all the effects of COVID. That's what my daughter and I talked about that because he really did have that spirit of empathy for others. And, and again, he was operating in his gift, love what he did as far as his profession, excited about being an uncle. There were no signs that there was an intentionality to this. So we just don't, we don't really know exactly what happened, but that's a part of the mystery. And again, God's in the details. And if it wasn't to be, it wouldn't be. Right. So that's where we leave it. Last question, my sweet friend. If our listeners remember only one thing about our conversation today, what do you want to stand out for them, for their heart to latch onto and take away? 
that no matter what it looks like, no matter what circumstance they're facing, God will be with them. He'll prepare them. He'll be with them through it. And they'll come out on the other side. But they've got to grasp the reality that God is good. That God's goodness will be a stronghold for them in the battle. And they've got to understand he's good. Because if they don't, they're not, they're not going to win. They're not going to come out. They're just not. Thank you for sharing your heart today with my listeners. I am deeply blessed to once again hear your story and to share some time with you. Ah, it's been a long time coming, but we made it through. I love you, sweet friend. Thank you for allowing me to share my story and that I can even now. That's a gift for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.